0: Someone's giving up, someone's dropping out, someone is discouraged, someone is in addiction, someone is in and out of jail. When they hear this and they listen to this, I'm hoping and praying that I give them, by the grace of God, some hope that they need like other people gave me.
1: Welcome to the Good Around Us Podcast. Here we share stories of people doing good for others. I'm your host, Stephanie Keeley. Some people have just the right combination of perseverance, faith, luck, and support to make something beautiful out of what is seemingly broken. Gerald Geo Gibson is one of those people. Today, he is a community program coordinator with the Lexington, Kentucky Police Department. A motivational speaker and founder of Operation Making a Change, an organization supporting the community through the school system and correctional facilities. But his story of life on the streets illustrates the great gift it is that he is even alive, much less making life saving impact on others today. Here's Gio's story.
0: Well, I grew up in Waukegan, Illinois, not too far from Chicago, and also in between Wisconsin, uh, probably like 30 minutes to Wisconsin from there. I grew mm-hmm. up with, uh, you know, I had a, a small memory of being in the same household as my real father. But eventually my mom and father got divorced. And a sh- short time after, my mom got into a new relationship, which she had a she had another son, and she had two two daughters. So, my two my my younger brother and my two little sisters were born after the fact. Um, in the beginning, you know, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, you remember all the things that happened at home, and a lot of stuff wasn't good. You know, good good things that happened. Uh, there was no strong family structure in my household, and what I mean by that is. You know, there was no sitting at the dinner table. There was no going to bed at a certain time. Um, There was no, hey, how you doing? Have a good day. You know, there was no family talks and family meetings and stuff like that. So I didn't have any of those type of experience in my own home. But I saw those things when I went to my grandmother's house. My grandmother, she was married. She had a good structure at home for her and her, my uncle and uh my aunts so you know also growing up at home was a very tough experience when it came to the uh the recent, the lack of resources we 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 had and what i mean by that is you know we hardly had food my mom was on government assistance and so we received food stamps and you know a welfare check every month to help us uh get by and I don't remember my stepfather working at all. I remember him doing odd jobs, like painting and stuff like that, but it wasn't like a steady nine to five job. Uh, we never had a car. Um, like I said, sometimes you can open the refrigerator. It was empty. Clothes that I wore, me and my siblings were were not good. We you know We shopped at the thrift store a lot. And so going to school, you know, it was it was pretty pretty rough for them because a lot of kids teased me for how I look as far as my appearance when it came to my hair, my clothes, um, shoes that I didn't have. I just, you know, I just didn't have, was less fortunate than a lot of kids at the time. Um, and so that created some issues. You know, when kids start pushing me around and teasing me, you know, I start pushing back and, you know, so for the next couple of years or so, you know I really that really start taking a toll on me. And other things that happened at home because you know going to school was a positive thing because I got a chance to eat a meal, definitely breakfast and lunch, and I got a chance to play on the playground. so it was some normalcy when it came to that. But the other the other issues at home was you know, my stepfather, you know the more i I started observing him and paying attention, you know he was a very mean person. A very violent man, and he did a, you know, he he did a lot of yelling at my mother, uh, physically assaulting her all the time. Uh, Of course, he controlled her money that she was getting from the state to help feed us. You know, he was controlling that, and I realized, you know, as I started getting older, you know, he had a drug problem, so I figured that's where a lot of the money was going toward, and that's why me and my brothers and sisters hardly had you know, a lot to, to work with. And, you know, there's a lot of alcohol use as well, you know. So I observed these things as a kid. I watched drug use, I watched the violence. And, you know, sometimes he would even turn on me and my oldest brother, you know, put his hands on us, you know, and, you know, I, I was I was afraid of him. You know, he put fear in my heart. And that's something that I didn't like. It wasn't the fear of, you know, if I don't get good grades, I'm, if I, I come home with some bad grades, I'm going to get in trouble or I stay out past curfew. It wasn't that. It was just, you know, I didn't know what person I was going to uh, come home to. So getting on the school bus, it was fearful for me because I had to go back to that house. And another, you know, um, another thing that took place, you know, I, I didn't trust people you know mm-hmm. the teachers and the counselors at the school they really wanted to help because you know you can look at me and tell I was going through something you know right. my mom right. loved me my mom grew up in a wonderful home I'm, I'm you know my grandmother raised my my mom and my uncles and aunts you know she raised them well you know so i didn't really know how my mom ended up with this person because it was it was the opposite but the opposite attracted uh, apparently so I didn't understand the importance of education. No one really sat down and, and and pushed me and motivated me. You know, I went through the the real simple motions. I didn't even think that I was even as good or smart as the other kids. And so I, I, my self-esteem was low. My confidence was low. I didn't believe in me at all. And you know teachers would try to sit and talk to me and get information out of me about how they can help me but like i said i was it was a it was a thing that i was taught not to talk to people about what was going on at home because the fear was you know if i revealed to you my mom was being abused i was being abused there is hardly any food in the refrigerator um you know children and family service would step in and take the kids yeah yeah so that was a fear of being separated from my siblings And so as I started getting older, trusting people was was hard for me to do, you know, even going into my teenage years and also leading up to my adulthood, which um, created a whole bunch of problems. So between eight, nine and 10 years old, around there, maybe even earlier, seven, you know, I started, you know, I was curious about the drugs that my stepfather was using. And so, you know, they used to leave it in the ashtray. So I, you know, I picked it up and me and my oldest brother, we smoked it for the first time, um, uh, not knowing that one day that was going to turn into something even bigger in my life. You know, you just as a kid, you don't see that stuff. You just infatuated with it because you see everybody else doing it. You know, I can remember my first time stealing um at a store. You know, when we would walk to the corner store, me and my mom and my, my little brother. And I remember there was a piece of bazooka gum joke that was in the aisle. And back then it was like a penny, but the big piece was like for three cents. And I looked around and see who was watching me. And I picked that up and I put it in my mouth and I attempted to walk out the store with my mom. And the gentleman that his name was Mike, he owned the store, he he called me out on that, you know. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you these small things that started mm-hmm. in my life that I remember that as i got toward teenage and adult years it it became a big problem and so i can remember those things clearly and so you know me and my brothers you know we we played we got along me and my you know my, my siblings you know we played sports uh sports kept, kept us out of trouble uh mm-hmm. you know we but you know it was hard for our mother to really control us once we got a taste of going outside to the streets which uh which we became infatuated with because, like I said, I, I know my mom loved me. She was just in a situation to where she was being held hostage. I would say in this relationship because she was very terrified of this person and she couldn't walk away. I didn't understand why why is my why would my mom stay in this relationship and this man is treating her this way? But you know, again, you know, we don't understand those things as kids. But I I knew she stayed because the biggest the biggest thing is she was, she was living in fear and she feared for her life about this person if she left.
1: She's a victim of abuse.
0: Yes. So, you know, when I, uh, when I uh, realized that, you know, I'm going to have to figure out how to get through this type of stuff, you know, it was like every day I just wanted to survive. You know, that's why, you know, when kids, when I encounter kids today, you know, I ask them what they want to be. And they say lawyers, doctors, football players and nurses and police officers and military. My if you ask me when I was a kid, my first thing will probably say, you know, is, is to get through the day. It's you want survive.
1: it to be alive.
0: Yeah, it's to survive. I, you know, I, I was always afraid of coming home like is my mom's going to be dead. You know, is, what, is this mood change in this guy? I don't know. But. So when I was like eleven, getting older, I started hanging with with people that were similar. That that was kind of living similar lives as me. Not the strong structure at home, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so we, you know, we we all we all hung together. You know, I had some positive friends. You know, I had this one friend. His name was Louis, and uh, Louis Louis Reyes, and he uh he was a really good kid. You know, of course he probably had issues going on at home too, but to me his life was way better than mine. I would go over Louis's house. His bed was made. His, uh, his room was clean. He had his own room. I believe I, I think he had his own room or he might've shared it with his brother, but, you know, Louis ate with his family and he had to be in at a certain time and, but hanging with me, you know, you know, he was a baseball player. So he used to try to, you know, teach me how to play baseball. And uh, he wrote that in his book called reaching a generation. And, uh, but you know he would be with me, and I'm I'm taking him with me, and we're still I'm showing him how to steal out of stores and malls and gas stations, and and he's like, wow, how did you do that? And I said, well, you know, it's just something that I, you know, learned how to do, and we would, you know, he was infatuated with that, like, wow, you know, it's, it's hard to believe you got away with this. So, you know, we were two peas in the pod, but he was he was a great kid. He was always trying to help me out. You know, I didn't have clothes, so he would he would give me clothes. He was like, he wanted to be my protector, you know, because he he witnessed what the stepfather was doing to me, as a as a kid, you know, like yelling at me, scaring me, and uh, Louis Louis was he was always aware of that type of stuff, so he took it upon himself to try to be like always checking on me and stuff like that, and uh, mm. yeah, and so but the other part of hanging with the other kids because Louis never did drugs, Louis wasn't running around in criminal activity like I was. So I, when I hang with Louie, even though I was still in, it was still more safer to hang with him. Because when I wasn't hanging with him, I was hanging with gang members. I was mm-hmm. hanging with people that were selling drugs and using drugs. So by 11, I'm already introduced to cocaine um, at a young age. I uh, was was assisting in breaking in houses. I was helping robbing people stealing breaking in cars um drugs alcohol. at 11 yeah between 11 12 13 all that right after when 11 came everything started to turn now a lot of people would say i was a good person you know i was a good kid you know i don't think that i was a terrible kid I, it was the choices that i was making because once if, if someone has never shown you or taught you something then it's easy for you to fall for things. It's easy for you to be influenced into stuff because as a kid, you don't have that strong mind. You, know, you so don't much, know
1: what's possible.
0: Exactly. My grandmother and my brother's grandmother was the only grandparents that I knew, but my, as far as my biological grandmother, she would take us to church. Of course she was, she's the sweetest lady you can ever meet. I mean, she's, I mean, just an angel and, you know, to go over to her house, she always gave me hope. Like, she will always tell me, you know, don't get in no trouble, don't do this, you know, you need to stop doing that. And I was, okay, grandma. We really respected our grandmother. Definitely had a, a high level of respect. I would never let my grandmother see me do anything wrong. Cause I know she'll get at me too, but uh it was just something about her, you know, that everyone loved about her. She, you know, she was just real. And uh I also, when I was uh Living on the south side of Waukegan, Illinois, I was outside hanging with friends and along this came this, this caravan pulled up with this white lady in it. And you ever seen the movie Freedom Riders? Uh Hillary Swank, you know, she uh she's on the West Coast helping these kids out. Well, my Hillary Swank pulled up and her mm-hmm. name was Holly. But Holly pulls up and she she says, Hey, I'm looking for Gerald Gibson. And of course, I'm like, well, what do you want them for? And she she got out of her van. She came around to talk to us. And she said, you know, I'm going to be real with you. The school gave me your information. They're worried about you. So someone at, at the school, wherever I was at, was concerned about my, my life. And they reached out to this lady. I don't know how they found her, but they she came and found me. And I'm going to keep it real with you. Like I said, I told you I didn't really trust people. But for some reason, I just felt like Holly was... God said, well, I know she is now, but she gained my trust, like within 15, 20 minutes of this conversation because she was so genuine and so real. And I just Mm -hmm. couldn't, I just couldn't deny that. And so she she agreed to pick me, my brother and the neighborhood kids to pick us up once a week. And we would go to, uh, maybe twice a week, we'll go to this church, which was easy because I went to church with my grandmother. I read the Bible with my grandmother and, and Sunday school and stuff like that. And we shot basketball and she fed us food. I mean, that was a no-brainer. And I mean, she she just taught us a whole lot of stuff about the Bible. And, uh, you know, she taught me how to drive when I was just a kid. And for the last couple of years, she was really, really, you know, just in our lives. Now, of course, when Holly dropped me off, I went right back to what I was doing.
2: Mm.
0: So it's not like um, my issues and my problems went away. Holly was just there to kind of maybe get us away from the situation as much as she can, so that we can we can uh, you know just get our minds clear, eat some food, and just get away. Mm-hmm. So she uh, she picked us up one day and said. Uh, we're going to go to my house. We're going to make dinner. All the kids in the neighborhood. It was about ten of us then, because you know, you know, I was her target, but you know, all the kids. I mean, they word they
1: loved, got out.
0: They loved the Holly, and so she was telling us that she met a guy, and this guy proposed to her, and she was moving away, mm. and so that broke my heart. I don't know how the other guys felt, but man, my Holly's leaving. Like, that was just a little bit more hope of life, you know, for me, you know, and, uh, you know, of course we cried and Holly got married and moved away. And so when she moved away, I went deeper into darkness. You know, like I said, I had, I was hanging with gang members. I was uh, learning how to sell drugs, Um, but on top of all of that, I made it to high school.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I still wonder, even to this day, like how did I make it? How did I even make it to high school? I failed the fifth grade, but I was doing involved with things that can actually take my life. So, and I faced so many life experiences of losing my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I was being shot at. I was I was doing things that definitely will get you killed. So I was, I used to watch this commercial on TV and it goes, be all that you can be. And I know that's old school, but it's the army. And so mm-hmm. I started watching that commercial. And I said, you know what? It looks fun to jump out of helicopters and just training and stuff like that. But they always talked about a career, college, and just, and I said, maybe if I join the military, I can get away from all of this. So I wanted to do something different with my life at that age. So when I made it to high school, age 15, you know, even though I still had issues, I joined the ROTC program in hopes of joining the military one day.
1: Being in the ROTC, you know, you've made it to high school and, and it sounds like you've always had this desire to, to get out, to get away from your circumstance um, that yeah. was influencing drugs and violence and so did, when you joined it, did you, did that help? Like did, or were you still involved in, um, the, in, in the activity on the streets?
0: I was still involved because remember, you know, we, you know, I had no, no source of income. Mom yeah. was on welfare. So every now and then we might get a couple of dollars. And by the time I'm 15, I, I know how to go get some money. I and know that was
1: survival. Pick.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I was still, in my mind, even though it was breaking the law, in my mind, it was survival Mm -hmm. tactics. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses, but that's just how my mindset was then. And so being in this ROTC program, it was it was it motivated me Mm -hmm. because it was positive. You know, I had a uniform, I had to keep it clean. I had to shine the brass, the shoes. You know, I had, you know, they taught me a lot of things. They were very stern. So, you know, and I couldn't mess up in school in order, you know, because if I messed up, they would have kicked me out of ROTC. So that was actually short lived anyway, because my grandmother called me from the school, at the school, I was at school. She called me and said, hey, you need to get home right away now. And I'm like, what's going on? She said, just come now. Now, I was scared that my mom was dead. That's the only thing that I can think of. Like, why would my grandmother be telling me to come home right now? So when I got there, there was this moving, this truck, this little small truck there. And my grandmother was standing out in the front with a purse over her uh, shoulder, with her hand in her pocket with a gun. And she said, I'll never forget this look. And grandma said, go upstairs, get everything you can, put it in this truck and hurry up. I said, but where are we going? She said listen, this stops today mm. actually to do. So my grandmother was taking a stand and getting my mama away from this guy because she was tired of that. Her, her grandchildren were being treated the way we were being treated. So we got this stuff. We were in the shelter for about two weeks and I'm like, mama, where we going? And I wasn't afraid because now I'm older now I wasn't afraid of this person anymore because now I got street connections. So I wasn't like living in fear from this person anymore.
1: In Wisconsin, everything started to change for the worse. ROTC was not available. Geo was involved in drugs, alcohol, evading police, life on the streets. By sixteen, he had his first child, dropped out of high school, and was repeating generational patterns.
0: Now, by the time I had my third kid, let me tell you, I was I was uh, dependent on cocaine because it became an addiction. I also was addicted to selling it. I was uh, also a full fledged gang member. Now there's a difference between a gang member and, and organized crime. I joined the organized crime of the, uh, of gang culture, you know, so uh, so I had obligations with that. And of course, you know, in the streets, you know, that creates a lot of friction everywhere you go with other rival gang members. So I was putting my family in danger. Uh, I hear drugs in my mama's home, guns, had gang meetings in the basement. I was just, you know, just being very disrespectful. And, but like I said, you know, to me, it was was normal because those are the things that I saw growing up as a kid most of the time, most of the stuff. And so in 1994, this police officer uh, encounters me and he says, I know who he was. His name was Glassman. And he said, man, you know, you should start doing different with your life, you know, because you seem smarter than what you, you know, what you appear. And he said, you know, if you don't do something different, you're going to end up in prison by the end of the year. Now, I looked at him because I just felt like, although I've been to jail numerous of times, I've never been to prison. I just felt like I know I would never get caught for something that would send me to prison. However, he was trying to tell me something. And so, but in 91, so in 94, again, here I am, no job, three kids, irresponsible, uh, going through addiction, uh, just no plan, no direction. And it was the summer of 94, and they went through our neighborhoods with indictments and arrested a lot of, the, uh, of, my, of my members of my organization and for drug sales and whatever they had on us. So they didn't catch me right away. I went on a run. For a couple months, and they end up catching me, and uh, I was facing a lot of time in prison for for sales of narcotics, crack, cocaine, to be exact. And uh, so, you know, I didn't have no lawyers. I had a public defender. So this is this is a little different than sitting in the county jail. Now I'm facing felonies because I never had a felony before. And so, what happened was uh, I was facing three three counts of delivery. They dropped two deliveries. I pleaded to one, which exposed me to 10 years, and they sent me to prison for four years. Now, while I was getting sentenced, my children were in the courtroom. And when they seen their father, who was already in jail, uh, they seen me in shackles and stuff coming in and coming out of the, court, uh, the courtroom, uh, I mean, they cried. I mean, my I could still hear my 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 middle daughter crying right now as I'm telling this story. I could hear you know, the screams that her father wasn't coming home with her that day. And so, you know, I accept the responsibility my, for my uh, responsibility for my actions. Uh, the four years, you know, I went up to a maximum uh, security prison in Wisconsin. Uh, that's where everyone starts off at. And then, of course, you know, you got to go through intake and get classified and social workers and tests and all different types of stuff. So once I was classified, I was classified as a medium minimum security level so that means i was able to sign up for a boot camp program so the boot camp program was in st croix wisconsin which is up near going toward almost corn toward up toward minnesota and wisconsin very cold in the winter and so that was a six six and a half months program now when i looked at it and compared it to the four years i said oh yeah this is easy because i exercised a lot but when I got there, it was more than exercising. They really got into my into my head and to me and showing me who I really was. And that was ugly. That was painful. I cried all the time. Remember, I had to be this hard kid. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I, I was told I was a man. So for me to start crying in this, it hurt me so much because I didn't want to believe the, the stuff that they was exposing to me, which was, which was actually the truth. And it's true what they say, the true person. And so I graduated at the top of my class in the boot camp program. And when I walked out of there in the summer, I went back to uh, Wisconsin. This time I moved to Racine, Wisconsin, which is uh, about 20 minutes from Kenosha, Wisconsin, where I was living at when I first moved from Illinois. So I'm in Racine. My mind is better. I'm on parole, high-risk parole. You know, I'm seeing my kids, but I got a job this time. So, my boss would actually pick me up every morning and drop me off. So, I had I had it really good. I had my own place. So, I had to go back around. I felt obligated to go back around to say hi, show love, give hugs, shake hands. And knowing I was on parole, I wasn't supposed to be around that. And every time I went around, a couple of the guys like, come on, man, let's get high. Come on, man, drink this. And you know, you, it seems like you're soft now since you've been to prison. And when that... When someone tells you that, it's like now you got everything to prove. Now and that was me, and so I I I said to myself, forget parole. I start selling drugs again. I start using drugs again. I went on the run, and when they caught me, uh, they sent me to prison for two and a half years for violation of my parole. And so I was mad, blaming everybody for uh, for what was going on in my life. And I said, you know what? When I go home, I'm going to I'm going to sell drugs, without a doubt. Because I'm gonna make up for a lot a lot of lost time. You know, a lot of times I, I was up, I was down, you know, I you know, fell into addiction. That was a nightmare. That was like a never ending you know nightmare for me. And so when I came home after two and a half years, I I uh, jumped right back in the game. I went back to the criminal element, and I ended up getting violated for parole again, and they sent me away for three years, okay? And so I'm in prison for the third time. And I'm sitting there start, and they said the world was going to end in 2000. And I'm in prison, it's 1999, December 31st. I was shipped to, to a jail where I was awaiting a bid to open up in a bigger prison. And so I'm sitting there and that actually scared me. And so I started evaluating my life on, on the things that I accomplished and the things that I didn't accomplish. And I said to myself, you know, this stops today. I'm done Well, I want to be done, with all the things that keep sending me to prison, that keeps leading me down the path to addiction, that keeps leading me down the path to unhealthy relationships and so on, right? And I start thinking about my children. I'm like, you know, my children, they need me. And the positive thing that I had at the moment was my life. I still have my life. Now remember, I was involved in some very dangerous stuff in the streets. You know, I don't have to get too deep into that, but Mm -hmm. anything that you're doing against what is good, then you know it's bad. So I was that was me. So I was still alive. So I was, I was also uh telling myself, like, wow, I've been taking my life for granted. You know, those bullets could have hit me, but here I am. I had a lot of friends that got killed during that, during that time of me running around in the streets. And so I said the realest prayer that I ever said in my life. Uh Holly started reflected in my mind, my granny, my children, everything just start flow through my mind, my mother, you know, I, I wasn't gonna blame my father for who I, who I became because how can I hate a man that I really didn't know? So I can't, you know, this was all on me now. I'm old enough to accept the fact that I had a choice in these things. No one forced me, no one put a gun to my head. And so as I sat there and I prayed, I said, what would I do if I walked out of prison today? Because I'm definitely not ready. And I start figuring out like, since I'm alive, I have a lot of information about this street life that I can use to help other kids not go down that same path that I chose once upon a time. And so I knew in order for me to be effective with that, I had to get myself right first. So Mm -hmm. the OPAC program, which is the program that I'm running right now to this day, I that God gave me that vision sitting in prison and I wrote it down and that was pretty much it. I didn't have a clue that this was going to be a functioning program today. So I walked out of prison, 2003, discharged, no parole. They tried to let me out early. I declined. I said, no, I'm doing all my time. A lot of people thought I was crazy. They're like, man, you could have got out early. I'm like, nah, you're not ready. They're not going to see me again. When I leave, I went to the parole board. I said, ma'am, Take me back to myself. I am not getting out. I had a whole year. I had three years, so I had a year left. And I could have got out early. But I think if I would have walked out, we wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. And so when I walked out, of course, I didn't have resources to go to. I had to go back to the same trenches, the same, the same jungle that I came from. And so I had to dwell in that again. And it became a roller coaster ride for me once again. However, how did you, know,
1: you overcome it that time you know I, it's a well, powerful force
0: well it's because no matter what I engaged in or indulged in I still it was hurting me if I did something wrong it hurt me my conscience started kicking in like you know you're wrong and for some reason I was being convicted like crazy it was like and I knew that was a sign right there and so My breakthrough was actually on my way back to jail for child support. I was facing six to nine months because I owed almost 30 to $40,000 in the rear. Now, child support is something that I never thought about again, but I got these kids. And so when I went to court, the judge was like, well, how much money do you got toward toward this bill? And I had, what, $30? The whole courtroom laughed at me and she was like, lock him up. So when the, when the sheriffs came around to the chair and I stood up and they were putting the cuffs on me, the judge was like, hold up, wait a minute, sit down. She said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm, someone's telling me to give you another chance. And I was, mm-hmm. I did pray before I walked in there. So when she said, she don't know why I kind of started you figuring out. why. Yeah. And so, you know, real nice lady, just picture, picture judge Judy. Her name was judge Waggler Malloy. And uh, I got to send her a letter, by the way. But this lady gave me a chance. I walked out of jail. I walked out of that courtroom, went to the bar, shot some pool, drunk some shots, called my best friend. He brought me some crack cocaine. And he said, said, you sure? I said, yeah, I got to make some money. Otherwise, I'm going to jail in about 28 days. The next day, to be honest with you, I couldn't sell the drugs. It was like it was completely taken away from me on how to sell drugs. And I thought I was one of the kings of selling drugs. And so that Sunday, I got a call from some people, from faith-based people that I met years ago, set up a job interview in Racine, Wisconsin at 21st Preparatory School. And I'm sitting there in front of this lady, I'm like, there's no way they're gonna hire me. Do they know who I am or whatever? And I was gonna tell her and she was like, we know who you used to be. Mm -hmm. When she said that, She I don't even know if she realized what she's what she actually said to me that turned a lot of me around. Because I I read about becoming a new person and that's what I always wanted to be. So I was the lunch monitor, white tables off, you know, took the kids out for recess. And, you know, that was easy. I was a kid. I did. all. I saw all of that as a kid. I did that. And uh, all the kids were gravitating toward me. The kids were like, Mr. Gibson, Mr. Gibson. And two months later, I'm I'm, the principal and the staff came to me and said, "Hey, can you be the gym teacher?" I said, "Well, of course." So I'm the gym teacher in school, and that led to other doors opening opening up for me. That gave me the confidence, the boost that I needed to uh, overcome a lot of stuff that I was dealing with. And uh, you know, I, I started getting a new reputation for myself. But of course, people were watching me, and I learned that. It's not how many times you fall. It's about how many times you get up. Now, normally when I fall, I stay there too long. I stay there for a long time and I'm swimming in this. When I, when things start coming my way and I, and, I, and I slipped and failed, I stood up strong and said, you know what? Okay, let's go. Let's keep trying. And so 2010, July the 4th, I moved to Kentucky. And the day I moved down here, the principal called me and said, hey, I got a job for you. I'm a superintendent in Illinois where you grew up at, and, and I need you to come and lead the way with the, with this stuff. And I was like, you got to be kidding me.
1: So said, many doors.
0: Yes. I said, Bob, I said, I appreciate you, but I'm going to be still this time. I just got to see what God has for me. And so I started at a Shell gas station on Richmond Road here. It was a small one. The manager, Carl, he, me and I became good friends, and he ended up moving to a bigger one on Lee's Town Road. And he said, I can't leave you here, Gio. i got to take you with me. You're too good. I said, cool. So he gave me Fridays and Saturdays off, and he gave me a raise. And I'm over there running this third shift uh, Shell gas station all by myself. Now, I was in search of working with kids and children. It was a lot of people told me that it wasn't going to happen. And I was actually a little discouraged, but then I started remembering, stop giving up. Why are you listening to other people? You know who you are. And so after six months, I just became the best gas station attendant in the world because I realized people in gas stations need help too. And so a police officer walks in third shift and I'm looking, I'm like, my spirit was like, that's who you're going to talk to. I'm like, no, it's not. This is a police officer, Because remember, You know, I ran from the police, but
1: they weren't exactly your friends.
0: Right. But I looked beyond the the uniform. Someone was telling me to talk to the human being. And I did. His name was Todd Phillips. I mean, this guy sat there, listened to my story, wrote down all the information that I was telling him. Of course, you know, he did his background check and he got in touch with me uh, a week later and connected me with a retired police captain by the name of Greg Howard. Greg Howard took me on his wing. They they were doing outreach in the schools like I was doing back home with another team of guys here. So I joined that team. But the captain and I built a different type of relationship. He was like, I mean, he's like showing me like what a father was, you know what I'm saying? It's like the captain really, really gravitated to me and I gravitated to him, regardless of who he was. I mean, look at you you had an ex-game member, street guy, drug dealer, in and out of prison. And here you got a 40 year old, 40 year veteran captain, you know, that was retired in the, from the police force. So that was a odd couple. We call ourselves uh, 48 Hours, Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy.
1: During this time in Lexington, Geo brought Operation Making a Change to Life. It first originated through the county attorney's office and now is part of the police department's Police Activity League, better known as PAL. The organization provides mentorship, coaching, and support to teens and adults to break the cycle of problem behavior. OMAC's mission is to pave the way for success one child at a time by empowering them to build for a better and brighter tomorrow.
0: And I think that's what it took for me. I had to start over. You know, I had to, I couldn't, I can't stay stuck and worrying about my past and my my old crowd. You know, people that I love, they're in my heart everywhere I go. You know, family, friends, you know, even people that are still struggling in addiction, that are still bound up in those things like I was, I still care about those people. So I just feel like, Me doing what I'm doing, my actions is is speaking louder than my words, but I'm also an influence now in the right way where people are watching me. But I had the experience. That's why a lot of doors that were opening for me is because of my personal experience. I am the walking testimony. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I I am, you know, I have all these experiences and that's the only reason why, you know, God was blessing me is because I was called to do what I'm doing. I was chosen for this and uh, I wouldn't actually anything else but the kicker part of this the the icing on the cake is the former police chief called me about seven years ago seven and a half years and he said uh we're looking for a civilian to run to help with community service with the pal organization and pal is a a national program police activities league that's been around for a long time it's national so there's a lot of great officers around the city state the country that are dedicated to helping the community, our kids stay out of trouble, away from, you know, the same type of, we have the same type of mindset. You know what I'm saying? These are guys that, men and women, that really care about the community. And it's sad that, you know, you have, you know, you might have one officer that might do something and it it looks bad on on all the officers. I thought that way until I start joining this fight from the inside out. You know, now Mm -hmm. I can help make change the right way. I can influence, you know what I'm saying? You know, these police officers, that I work with are good friends of mine, you know, you know, I have so many good friends, I trust, I trust, you know, the people around me, but the chief gave me a job, I've been working for the police department for the last seven and a half, going on eight years, um, we do a lot of outreach together, my pal team and I, and it's it's just fun, it's just a great experience, but, you know, like I said, I, I think that you know, looking at looking back at my life, no matter what you're going through, if you really want to do something different, you just got to keep going. You just got to, you know, pray about it. You just got to trust yourself. You know, you got to trust other people. Remember, I didn't trust people.
2: Mm-hmm. So I have
0: to trust, start trusting. I have to start building trust with people to let people in so that I can heal, so that they can help me. Because without healing, you're no good to other people because you're going to take all those burdens and the things you went through and you're going to take it out of other people. So I'm thankful to be, you know, in this uh, position that I'm in. I have a great team. I have a great board. I mean, my team, my community partners are amazing. Amazing. And they know who they are if they're going to listen to this. You know who you are. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Because people got their own careers, but yet they still gravitate to Operation Making the Change. And that's what Operation Making the Change is. It's all of us.
1: Yeah. Yes. So so you know um through through that organization Omac and and the teams that you're working with you see how people um can be the community and can be the change what do you think it takes um like what's the what's the most important ingredient you have to have if you're someone who's looking to be a community change maker
0: Well you know what I realized you can't put it down and be picking it up when you want to. This has this is a commitment. This is sacrifice. This is like I moved away from my family. I don't have my family here, but the people that I've met here become my Kentucky family, of course. But sacrifice, like, but it, it's going to take someone that is very committed to this. Like if you're just playing around with this, in and out of this, you know, it's it's really not this is really not for everybody but everyone has to play their part and that's what makes the community a better safer together type of community is when everyone is doing their part don't force yourself into something that you know you don't have your, you know no business being into you know you might be good with accounting you be the accountant you might be good at bringing people together and do that part you might be good at cooking you do the cooking, bring the food to the events or whatever. But everyone plays a part. But but commitment to me is what I would say to anybody that's trying to get involved to help make the community a better place. We got to be invested. You got to be committed.
1: Yeah, commitment. Doing your special part of it.
0: Yeah. Got gotcha. to.
1: The gift you bring. Yeah.
0: Consistency is key. People watch the consistency. I wouldn't label myself, you know what I'm saying, the best motivational speaker, the best program in the whole wide world. But you know why? You know, people know that I'm effective. They know I'm consistent. I don't, I'm not jumping around. I'm I'm staying on the path that God told me to go down. And that's what makes me effective in what I'm doing. I just stick to the script. I understand the assignment.
1: Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for sharing your story so openly and um, vulnerably with us here. I, I, I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, it's no problem at all. You know, when people hear this amazing story because it is an amazing story, I don't want it to be a sad story. I don't want people, you know, be like, Oh wow. Because everyone has a story, but it's what I did with mine that what that makes it amazing. It's because when people hear this, someone's going through what, what, a lot of what I went through that's going to listen to this. Someone's mm-hmm. giving up. Someone's dropping out. Someone is discouraged. Someone is 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 in addiction. Someone is in and out of jail, prison. I mean, they're even free walking around in a community in prison. But guess what? Mm. When they hear this and they listen to this, I'm hoping and praying that I give them, by the grace of God, some hope that they need like other people gave me.
1: You will. You've given us a lot of hope. So what is a quote that you carry with
0: you? Well, my quote is, there is no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. That is Isaiah 54, 17, because all my life is going to, you know, a lot of things attacking me. I mean, if it wasn't physically, it was, you know, even the age that I am doing what I'm doing right now. I mean, this is not cut and dry. There's issues in this. There are people that don't want to see you win, you know, but I don't understand it because, you know, if you got people in these type of positions, when when people lose, everyone's losing. So I want to see everybody win, but weapons may form, but that don't mean they're going to prosper. So no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And God has proven that to me day in and day out, no matter what has been thrown at me. And I don't say that with arrogance. I say that, with confidence. I say that humbly, but I say it so strongly with passion because I want somebody to feel what I'm saying.
1: Wow. I hope you got exactly what you needed to get from Gio's amazing story. Gio stands for giving every opportunity. And I certainly see that in the story he shared today. You'll find in the show notes a link to the OMAC website and ways to connect with Geo. Would you do me a favor? Head over to Apple Podcasts and write a review for the good around us. It will be just the thing needed to turn this good news we're sharing here from ripples to waves. Finally, last month I launched a newsletter which will go out to subscribers every other month. It's a place for thoughts on culture, everyday leaders, and that relatable pursuit of balance. Sign up at my website, thegoodatwork.com which I will also link to in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the good around us podcast until next time.